I'm excited that it's 2023. Always look forward to uh, a new year and all that a new year brings. How many of you maybe sat down with your family this last week and made some New Year's resolutions? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. All right. Nobody. Nobody wants to set any goals. That's all right. It's cool. It's cool. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Every year what we do is we sit down as a family and we'll write out goals. And I'll tell you what uh, I'm famous for is overcommitting on goals. And maybe that's the reason you're not doing uh, any resolutions this year is, uh, is, did you know this, that 80% of New Year's resolutions fail by the month of February? Isn't that crazy? They fail. 80% of them, they have, they failed, they're, they're done by the month of February. And so, but what we do as a family is, is we'll sit down and we write out some goals. And this year I, I changed it. Uh, in, in 2018, I, I had 18 goals that I set in 2018. How many of you, you want to guess how many uh, I kept? How many of you? Anybody? Two. That's really hurtful, guys. That's... <laughs> I mean, I thought y'all might have a little more faith in your pastor than that. No, I actually kept seven, okay? I kept seven of the New Year's resolutions. I mean, it's kind of a humble brag. It's whatever, you know? Uh, I was beating the national average. In fact, I was at like 61%. I had a, only had a 61% failure rate that year. And so, I mean, I crushed the national average, right? But see, here's the thing is that it's, it's with New Year's resolutions is that we, we make these big commitments. We make these big resolutions. We get all excited about it. Maybe you buy the juicer or you buy the blender or, you know, you went and you signed up for the gym and maybe you went, maybe you never did. I don't know. Maybe you went 20 times and, and then you never went back and then you're just like, I just wasted my money at, at this point. But whatever the resolution was and, and then it failed and then so you're just like, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to do resolutions anymore. I'm just going to give up on the the resolutions. But let me, let me just tell you some of the things that, that I had on, uh, on my list. Some of my goals were real simple. It was like, don't use social media after 8 p.m. That one failed by February, by the way. Uh, uh, another one was to go to Hawaii, but, and we didn't go to Hawaii that year. But the good news is we did go to Hawaii uh, the year after that. Uh, we just got too busy that year, and we didn't make it happen. But even though I failed at it that year, I succeeded Hooray, I succeeded the next year. Um, we, we wanted to renovate a bathroom. I'm, that one is going to get put on the list again because we still haven't. I keep failing at that one every year, but I do think it's going to happen this year, right? We're, I think so. I, I think that one's going to happen this year. Uh, but I did refinish a fireplace instead. I was like, I can do, you know, I can do something. I'm not going to do the bathroom, but I'll, I'll do something. And there's, we just set these personal goals, but I think it's time. And, and, and if you can just get this in your mind, I think it's time that we redefine failure. Can we do that tonight? Can we redefine failure? I think that we look at failure, and when we see failure, we always categorize it as a bad thing, as a negative thing. But tonight, I want to encourage us to redefine failure. Let me illustrate it to you this way. Kobe Bryant holds a ton of records in the NBA. I mean, he's just, if you go to pretty much any list, any record list in the NBA, Kobe Bryant is on it. I mean, he's like, If he's not one, he's two or three. He's at least in the top 10 of almost every list. But here's one that might might take you by surprise, is that Kobe Bryant holds the record for most missed shots. How many of you knew that? Anybody? Some of you, okay, my basketball fanatics right up here on the front row. Uh, He holds the record for most missed shots. Listen, he missed a a mind-blowing 14,481 shots. 
14,000. He actually only made 11,000, oh, I say only. He made 11,719 shots. That's about 11,718 more than I would have made. So it gives him a shooting average of 48.2%. So what I'm telling you is that Kobe Bryant is listed among the greats, and yet he was missing more than 50% of the time. In fact, Kobe failed 51.8% of the time. How many of you would consider if if you were failing at something more than 50%, how many of you would consider yourself a success, right? You wouldn't, you know? I was like, you know, babe, I I succeeded at cleaning the dishes 50% of the time. Is that a success? In my book now, I might use this. I might use this in our our next argument about the dishes or taking out the trash. I'm like, babe, I'm doing it 50% of the time. Technically, according to sports stats, I'm succeeding. Uh, Listen to this. A baseball player, if a baseball player can get a hit three out of 10 times at batter, at bat, he is considered a success. With a 70% failure rate, baseball players are considered a great success. Sir James Dyson, listen to this, he failed 5,126 times over the course of 15 years. How do you even keep going after you fail 5,100? Like, where is the point to where you just go, look, I'm not created to make a vacuum cleaner, you know? But 5,126 times he failed, but now he has a net worth of 4.5 with a B billion dollars. Isn't that insane? because he kept going. Thomas Edison was told by his teachers that he was too stupid to learn anything. He failed more than 10,000 times trying to create a better light bulb, but Edison went on to hold more than 1,000 patents. What about Abraham Lincoln? Listen to this. Abraham Lincoln, he lost his job in 1832. He was defeated for legislator in 1832. He had a failed business in 1833. He was elected to legislature in 1834. His sweetheart, Anne Rutledge, died in 1835. He had a nervous breakdown in 1836. He was defeated for Speaker of the House in 1838. He was defeated for a nomination for Congress in 1843. He was elected to Congress in 1846. Then he lost the renomination in 1848. He was rejected for land officer in 1849, defeated for the Senate in 1854, defeated for nomination for vice president in 1856, and again defeated for Senate in 1858. But in 1860, he was elected president. And aren't you glad that he was because of the things that he stood for, because of the things that he fought for, because he took a stand uh, against, against discrimination and against race And because he did, our country looks different. Aren't you glad that he didn't give up and that he didn't quit and that he didn't stop? I want to tell you tonight that we have to redefine the way that we see failure. Come on, I like to say it like this, is that failure is just success in training. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. Failure is just success in training. I like the way Johnny Cash said it. He said it this way, you build on your failure. You use it as a stepping stone. You close the door on the past. You don't forget the mistakes, but you don't dwell on it. You build on your failure. 
Tonight, if I could say anything, I think we need to redefine the way that we see failure. When we mess up, when we make a mistake, we don't quit, we don't give up, we don't stop showing up to church, we don't stop showing up to small group, or when we show up to church, we don't just sit there with a blank stare on our face and go, I messed up, I blew it this week. No, we come before a God that loves us so much, that knew that we were gonna mess up, that saw the failures we were, and even though that we failed, he stepped out of heaven and he died on a cross because he loved us so much that he said, I know the only way you'll make it is if I die on a cross. And so we did it knowing that we would fail. So if we redefine the way that we see failure, if we realize that failure is just success and training, if we'll take even the words of Johnny Cash that he says, you're just gonna build on failure. Because see, here's what I know. If I can come over here to these steps. If I start down here, And this is my ground zero. But I know that God wants me to get somewhere way up there. And and I get here and I mess up. And if I mess up and I stop here, guess what? I'm never going to get to where God wants me to be. And I know that God has a purpose and I know that God has a destiny and I know that God has a place that he is calling me. But if I stop here, I don't get there. But if I learn something here from the mistake, guess what? I can take the next step to the next level. And on this level, I'm going to mess up and I'm going to make a mistake and I'm going to do something that I don't want to do. And maybe I go back to a bad habit, but I learned the mistake and so I can keep climbing. And with every failure, I go, you know what? I learned something. And with every mistake, you go, I'm not going to do that again. And with every time I fail and I'm getting closer and closer to the person that God wants me to be. And I can tell you this today that still I'm not the man that God is calling me to be. Why? Because I'm still learning in failure. I'm still learning in mistakes. I'm still learning and mess up. And that's why I realize that failure is just success in training. It's just success in training. In 1817, the New York Stock Exchange was created. Anybody got money in the stock? I mean, this year was brutal, so you may not. I saw somebody start crying back there when I said stock market. <laughs> it's, I mean, this year just wasn't a great year. And, and that's exactly what, you know, and that's exactly what the stock market, market has done since its very beginning, right? It's just kind of been, it's been up and down, up and down, you know, get to the 1920s, I don't, can't even go down, you know, come up. And then, you know, we've got uh, 2008, which was, was brutal. And then, uh, and then you come here and then, you know, now we've got here. And, but what, it, what it's done is that it's, it's always trended and you'll have these rises and falls in the stock market, and, and one day it's great, and the next day it's not, and one year it's awesome, and then the next year it's not. And, and it's just kind of this, this roller coaster, but if you just ride it, it, it always kind of trends back up. At least that's what we're all telling ourselves right now, right? It's going to come back. But if you look at it and you were to plot our lives out, our lives probably look a lot like this right here. Successes failures, successes, failures, successes, failures, success, heartache. I'm on the mountaintop in my spiritual walk. I'm in the valley of my spiritual walk. Things are great with Jesus right now. Man, I just, God, where are you right now? And if we could plot out our walk with Christ, I'm sure that it would, it would look a little something like this. It's, this is the point and the destination where where God finds us. 
and, and he finds us and, and we have maybe an experience at an altar where God touches our heart and he changes us, right? And we get to this mountaintop experience and we're like, man, God is so good. Or maybe you join Restoration Church and you're like, I'm going to help plant a church. And then, but this last year, maybe things got a little tough and, and you bottomed out. Maybe you made a, a bad decision or two and, and you found yourself at rock bottom. Can I tell you, it's okay because God can still get you to where he wants you to be. This is the thing that I, that I love about God is that he sees my value way up here. When God looks at me here, he doesn't see me for me. He sees me for who I'm going to be. He doesn't see the Craig that, that was on drugs. He doesn't see the Craig that was on alcohol. He doesn't see the Craig that was running from God. He doesn't see the teenager that was so lost and, and wanted nothing to do with God. What he looked at is he saw this Craig and he goes, hey, look, I'm going to invest in you here because I know where you're going. I know who you're going to be. And what we have to do is we have to see who God is creating us and turning us into. And when we fail and when we mess up and when we fall down, we realize, look, that this is not the end. You know what they say the worst thing that you can do, and it's, it's the greatest temptation, is that when, when the stock market plummets, what do you want to do? You want to pull all your money out, right? You just I'm going to get my money out. I'm just going to cut my losses, man. I just, I can't, you know, I've already lost so much money. I'm not, what do they tell you to do? No, listen, when it's at the lowest, what do they tell you to do? They tell you to invest. When it's at the lowest, that's when you want to buy. That's when you want to take your money and you want the, the temptation is, is just to go, no, I'm good. I'm not, no, I'm just going to take my money out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it in something else. I'll just cut my losses. And that's the temptation with us and our life too is when we're at our lowest to go, I'm not coming to church. I won't show my face at small group. I'm not going to open this Bible because there's no way that God is going to speak to me in a time like what I'm going through. We neglect our times in prayer. Why? Because we feel guilty. We feel feel so condemned and we're heaping this guilt and self-condemnation on ourselves. But I love this. The Bible says that when I was a sinner, when I was at my worst, this is the moment that Jesus died for me. When I was at my worst, that's the moment that Jesus stepped out of heaven and put himself on a cross. It, it, it wasn't for a, a Craig that had it all together and thought, you know, all, all this, I don't, I don't need Jesus. I don't really have much to what. No, Jesus died for me right here when I was at my worst. And the only way I get there is if I lean on him, if I depend on him, if I start seeing myself the way that God sees me. Come on, is there anybody that's hearing me tonight we have to redefine the way that we see failure. Because when we look at the life of Joseph, it, it looks a lot like this too, right? He, he's here and he has this dream and he tells his brothers. When he tells his brothers, they get mad. But then he has another dream here and then he tells his parents and then, you know, they don't really like what he, what he has to say. And then, you know, it just down here, then it, it kind of gets worse because they sell him into, into slavery. And, but then it gets a little better, right? Because he's made the ruler over Potiphar's house. But then, he's, uh, and, but then he's accused of some sexual indiscretion and he ends up in prison and it's here. And then, you know, he gets some friends. So things get better. I don't know. It, it's better. And then, uh, and then they forget about him. And, but then he gets out and ultimately he ends up sitting on the throne and ruling 
And his brothers come to him and he's able to say these words, what you intended to harm me, God intended for my good. And I really do believe that you're going to be able to look the enemy in his face here in just a matter of about three weeks when we get done with this fast. And you're going to be able to see some of the purpose behind some of the things. That's what I'm praying, that you'll be able to see some of the purpose behind some of the things that you've gone through. And you'll go, God, you were with me every step of the way. And you never gave up on me. And you never forsook me. And you walked with me through every step of the way. And now I can see the man that you want me to be. I can see the mom that you want me to whatever your situation is, I can see who you want me to be. So I'm going to keep on pressing, pursuing, because I know that you're going to get me there. Come on. Is there anybody that believes that tonight? Come on. If you believe it, why don't we take a moment and just say, thank you, God, that I'm not who I used to be. Thank you, God, that, that God, you're turning me into a new creation. I want to tell you this, that failure isn't a setback. It's a setup. Failure isn't a setback. It's a setup. Uh, in April one year, Tesla had a car that randomly caught fire in a parking lot in China. You may have seen the, I mean, it went viral, went all over the news. It was, you know, on Twitter and, and just everywhere. It blew up and because it was, it was captured on a security camera. And this Tesla's just parked in its parking spot and all of a sudden, boom, catches fire. I mean, it's, it's crazy. That day, they lost, listen to this, they lost 3.5%. It equated to $77 million in one day. How many of you would consider that a bad day? That's a bad day, right? $77 million gone in, in one day. And the thing that they didn't do is, you know, uh, Elon Musk didn't walk in and just go, hey, you know what? We're terrible at making cars. In fact, we're the worst uh, we're going to shut down all the plants. We're going to shut down all the factories. Let everybody go because we had a car catch on fire. We're terrible. Call it quits. We are no longer going to make cars. He didn't do that. No, what did he do? He walked in and he said, you know what? We've got a problem and we got to fix it. So what they did is they identified the problem and they made their cars better. Now their cars don't catch on fire. At least I hope they don't. They identified a problem and they fixed it. And what we have to do is when we identify a problem, we have to build on it. And we have to realize that failure isn't a setback, that it's a setup, that I can learn something that I can grow from, but not only can I grow from it, I'm going to learn something that I can then pass on to somebody else, that I'm going to sit in a men's small group, or you're going to sit in a women's small group. And when you go through things, when you go through failures, when you go through successes, you learn stuff that then you're able to pass on to somebody else. When somebody else has experiencing the pain. When somebody else is experiencing the heartache, you're able to go, look, I wish I wouldn't have gone through it, but I did go through it. And I can tell you how you're going to get out on the other side. And these are the problem areas. This is where you need to stay away. But I'm telling you this is that you, this isn't a setback season. It is a setup season because you can't give up on tomorrow's successes because of today's failures. Can I say that again? Don't give up on tomorrow's successes because of today's failures. Tesla's a better company today because they identified the problem and they, they fixed it. And that's what we have to do in our life is when we fail, we have to go back to the problem. God, show me by the power of your Holy Spirit where I went wrong, what I did. Most, most of the times we know it. Most of the time we won't even have to pray. It just happens, but we've got to go, God, show me that problem so I can fix it. And when I fix it, I don't have to give up on the person that God is calling me to be because I messed up here. Are you hearing me tonight? 
I'm not going to give up on who God called me to be because of a mistake, because of a failure here. Life is full of success. It's full of peaks and it's full of valleys. But if we'll keep our eyes focused on who God is calling us to be, we're going to get there. Quit focusing on what you're not today and start focusing on what you will be tomorrow. I love the way Romans 8.1 says it. It says that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Why then do we condemn ourselves? Why then do we put ourselves down when we mess up, when we make a mistake? Don't you? Jesus knew we were going to mess up. We're not called to be perfect. There is one man who has ever been perfect, and his name is Jesus. And he didn't come and die on the cross and then go, everybody be perfect. No, he, he said things like, look, in your weakness, my, my, per, my power is made perfect. So when you're weak, you need my power. That's where my power actually thrives is in your weakness. So if you'll come to me and admit, hey, look, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I'm weak. I'm struggling. I need you. God, I need your strength to overcome addiction. God, I need your strength to overcome the battle in my mind. God, I need your strength to overcome depression. Whatever you're facing, whatever has you down, whatever has you in the valley, if you'll say, God, I need you most, and if you'll begin to invest in yourself when you're down, if you'll begin to invest in yourself in the low time, if you'll show up at church more, if you'll show up at small group more, if you'll open this book more and just say, God, these are the times that I need you. I'm going to invest in me because you invested in me in the lowest moments of my life. The temptation in the stock market is always to take out your money when it drops, to stop believing in the investment you made. But can I tell you this? Jesus will never stop believing in the investment that he made in you. Never. He's not going to give up on you. He's not going to stop believing in the person that he's called you to be. What we have to do is we have to see ourselves for this. I'm going to ask that the band comes back, and I'm going to close with this. Because I think when, we, you know, when you think about the New Testament and you think about uh, Peter, and you think about the books of the Bible that he wrote, you think about the revival. If you go back and you read Acts, starting with Acts chapter 2, God used Peter to start a revival. God used Peter to start what we're walking in today. The church is here. In fact, Jesus at one point, he looks at Peter and he said, hey, you're the rock. On this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But the journey for for Peter, this, this man that helped build the modern-day church that we're in today, thousands of years ago, the man that, that Jesus would take and he would pass down this mantle to him and he would say, hey, Peter, you're the rock that I want to build this church on and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When you look at his life, you don't necessarily go, hey, God, that's the guy that I would have picked. Because let's, let's, take, let's take Peter's life. So here we we have Peter, and he's a fisherman, fisherman of the day. They were they were rough guys, rough mouths. They just they were they were just rough people. And Jesus comes walking along the seashore, and I want you to I want you to notice the words that he uses because there's two times that he uses 
these words in Peter's life. And he says this. He says, follow me. Come on, somebody say, follow me. And so Peter is in a boat. Jesus comes walking down the shore. And he says to Peter, hey, follow me. Don't you know that had to be one of the most incredible days of his life? So Peter begins to to walk with Jesus, and he begins to see miracles, and he begins to see God do incredible things. And and then uh, I I love it because things only get better because uh, Jesus comes walking out on the water. And when he comes walking out, on the water. He says, Jesus, if that's really you, tell me to come walking out on the water. And what does Peter do? Peter does what only one other man in history has done. He begins to, how many of you would like to walk on water? What a cool party trick would that be, right? And and Peter walks on water. And so don't you know, that was like a moment in his life that that was, that was probably a high. I'm going to be honest, and this is why Jesus wouldn't let me walk on water. If I walked on water, I would brag about it and tell everybody about it. And maybe Peter did, and maybe, maybe he didn't. But you also got to remember that Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and he sank. I, I don't know. It, it, it kind of depends on who you are as to what moment you focus on. You could be the person that says, I, I walked on water, or you could be the person that says, I sank. I choose to be the person that said, but yeah, I walked on water. You other suckers stayed in the boat and I walked on water. And then he sank. But I love what happens next in, in Matthew 15. Is in that Jesus feeds the 5,000. Peter was there. Peter was there with, with baskets of bread and fish. Feeding 5,000 with just a little boy's lunch. And then the Bible says that they had 12 baskets full left over. You ever thought that's weird? 12 baskets full, 12 disciples? That they have 12 basketfuls left over. And Peter got to see this. Peter got to see the miracles. Peter got to see as as Jesus laid hands on people and healed the sick. But it was just one chapter later that Jesus looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Can I tell you, if Jesus calls you Satan, that's a bad day. And he looks at Jesus and he says, or looks at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan, because Peter was rebuking Jesus. Not a good idea. But then it's just a few chapters later that Jesus takes Peter into his inner circle. Peter was one of the close three to Jesus. The Bible tells us that Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane and that he had his disciples wait here, but then he took three more to come pray closer with him. Peter was one of those. Peter was in his inner circle. Peter was feeling good. I'm in Jesus' inner circle. Man, this is awesome. But then soldiers show up and they come to arrest Jesus. And Peter loses his temper and cuts off somebody's ear. And then he watches Jesus take that ear and heal it. He carried Jesus away. And then Peter is around a campfire 
hey, you're that guy that was with Jesus. No, not me. No, 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 no. You're, you're that guy. I, I saw you. I saw you with Jesus. In fact, I saw you with the basket of bread and fish. I saw you. You were there. You were there when he fed, fed the 5,000. You were carrying the ba- No, it wasn't me. And maybe he hits an all-time rock bottom. and He denies Jesus. But notice, it didn't take Jesus by surprise. In fact, Jesus told him, hey, look, you'll deny me three times before the rooster crows. It didn't take Jesus by surprise. And it didn't make Jesus not pick him. And it didn't make Jesus not love him. And it didn't make Jesus not see him for who he would be. Just when you thought it couldn't get worse. Peter just leaves it all and he's like, I'm going to go back to my old life. Peter actually goes and and begins to fish it. And again, this is the beauty of the Bible. In the same way that Jesus came walking down the shore the very first time that he called him, Jesus again comes walking down the shore and he sees him. They've been fishing all day and hadn't caught anything. And they didn't actually even realize it was Jesus at the time. And they said, hey, throw your nets out on the other side. They had caught nothing all day and they throw their their nets out on the other side and they catch this great multitude of fish. Peter's eyes are open and he realizes it's Jesus. So he hops out of this boat and he pursues Jesus. Jesus says, hey, take some of that catch and we're going to cook a meal. And so they're sitting around this campfire. Peter, or Jesus, begins to speak into Peter. He said, hey, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Be a pastor. Hey, Peter, he asked him again, do you love me? Yeah, I do. Pastor my people. Hey, Peter, do you love me? He's like, ah, Jesus, you know I love you. Jesus would probably like, really? Do you remember like three days ago? I mean, I'm not, I don't want to rub it in, but Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And I love what he closes with in the final verses of John 21. The same way he called him, he says these words. He says, follow me. Follow me. Even after... Jesus knew everything. The Bible says that at the moment that Peter was denying him, Jesus walked by the campfire and heard it. He saw it. He heard it. He went and found him back in his old life. Jesus called him and set him apart to build the church, and he had gone back to a fisherman. How do you go from, in this moment, zero confidence to in Acts chapter 2, he stands up in front of thousands of people and he declares the word of the Lord. In Acts chapter 2, I I mean, the, the time period here is only about 50 days. And Peter stands up boldly and he begins to declare the word of the Lord. And as he does, the Bible says that 3,000 people get saved that day. 
Look, here's my point. I don't know where you're at on this journey. Maybe you're on the mountaintop today, but there's going to be a time where where you fail and you mess up, or there's going to be a time where life gets hard and and you're hurting and you're busted and, and you feel terrible. Don't look at yourself right here. Look at the person that God has called you to be. Come on, let's stand on our feet. Come on, we're never going to get there if we give up. We're never going to get there. We're never going to be the man. We're never going to be the woman that God has called you to be. If we quit, if we give up, if we throw in the towel, God isn't calling us to quit or give up. He wants us to redefine the way that we look look at failure. Failure is not final. When I mess up, God says, I have grace for that. I have mercy for that. I can cover that. I can forgive that. That's why I died. That's why I took up the cross, but we'll never become who God has called us to be if we quit in the valleys. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Lord, you're here tonight. God, I feel your presence. I feel your power. I feel your spirit. Lord, I I don't know what mess ups are represented in here for, for 2022. Maybe we blew it in 2020. God, maybe 2023 has already started and we've already messed up and we've already blown it. But God, we're going to get up and we're going to keep fighting and we're going to keep going because you're a God of grace. You're a God of mercy. You're a God that loves us. You're a God that forgives us. You're a God that heals us. You're a God that redeems us. You're a God that strengthens us. And we thank you, God. That because of you and what you did, God, that we are victorious, God. That we are more than conquerors, God. That we can fight this fight, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.